How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Hey there, Disney Files. Thanks for tuning in. Just a little warning that whilst we like to keep things bright and light here at Dissecting Disney Ditties, occasionally we do drop in a bad word or two. So if you're listening at home or in the car with the kidlets, you might want to listen to this later. Enjoy. We'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet to record today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Welcome to Dissecting Disney Ditties. Keep your hands and arms inside the carpet! But on this show, we'll be breaking each Disney classic out. Hello, hello, and welcome to Dissecting Disney Ditties with Stackers and Will. I'm Stackers. And I'm Will, and on this show we'll be breaking each Disney classic down song by song in an attempt to answer the impossible question. What is the best Disney song? Every day we get a little bit closer to an answer. Or a non-answer. I feel like every day we just get a little <laughs> get bit closer further. to disappointing everyone. Yeah, I feel like we get, with every movie, we get a bit further and further away. And this movie yeah. is definitely making me feel like we're further away. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> what well, this movie, I, okay, so let's, I'm just going to jump straight into yeah, it, Stackers. This it. movie, I um, seem to recall when I was... A little bit younger, not when I was like a, a, a child still, but when I was a little bit younger and if we'd ever have in amongst my friends this conversation of, oh, what's your favourite Disney movie? I feel like Hunchback was the cool go-to answer because, you know, being an edgy punk rock teenager like me, I always like to be against the man. And so, like, this, <laughs> you know, the big answers are Aladdin or Beauty the and the Lion Beast or The King. Lion King. And it feel, always felt like Hunchback was a little bit sort of, uh, forgotten about almost, mm. and so that was my go-to answer. But uh, having rewatched this uh, the other night, I'm absolutely positive. I think this might be my favorite movie so far. Yeah, I I think so too. It's just because the whole time I was watching it, I was thinking Disney made this. Like Disney, yeah. Disney yeah. did this. They went this far. Yeah, and like I can't imagine. There's so many things in it. That I would think now if you tried to put it in a Disney movie, it would come back like, no, change it, no, yeah. no, no. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, well, it's so adult for the most yeah, part. Yeah, and so grim and dark and you feel like even the live-action Disney movies that are being made, like the big live-action Disneys, you know, all your Marvel and all that sort of stuff, none of them go anywhere near this level of grim or dark. It's always, you know, light and bright and ha, 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 here's a funny quip. Well, it's never a song about a, a judge wanting to fuck yeah. someone. Like, <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, I mean, they did They did try and put in ha, ha, funny, here's a quip. I mean, we'll get to that, yeah, the yeah. problems yeah. with the movie. We will get there. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, overall, this is uh, how this is – in my opinion, spoiler alert, mm. the best score Alan Menken ever wrote. Ever, ever? Ever. Yeah. It's it's so good. It's yeah. so good. And I 
but in the lead up to watching it, I wasn't really listening to the movie soundtrack, but I was listening to the uh, stage show soundtrack, yeah. the, the the New Jersey regional cast, whatever it was. Yeah. And it is so good mm-hmm. that I just, I, yeah, I cannot recommend it enough. Like if you are a fan of this movie and if you're a fan of this music, find that soundtrack and have a listen because it just fills it out so much more. The, the choir work in this movie, my God. And then they take it up to a next level in that soundtrack and it's, oh, it's just off the charts good. <laughs> I'm really enjoying this because this is exactly how I feel about this movie. It makes yeah. choirs cool. I want to be I want to be one of those top sopranos. Every time I hear yeah. that that uh, that motif come back, uh, oh, I just want to be up there singing those top Ds and Yeah. It's just it's it's so it's so dense. This score is so dense and it amazes me this is an early stat, but this this was nominated for Best Score and didn't win. Ooh. It lost or lost to two different films. It lost the um, Academy Award to Emma and it lost the Golden Globe to The English Patient. But interestingly enough, they won for Pocahontas. I say they, uh, he. Yeah, okay, all and right. Pocahontas has a nice score. No, but this but is it's just. this. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting watching this movie from a you know a 2022 perspective where the the final act is basically everything's on fire and unfortunately Notre Dame burned down a couple of years ago. Mm. I think it you know I think it's in the process of being rebuilt but still like that sort of hit a little bit different I think. Yeah. Um and as you're sitting there watching Paris burn and all this sort of stuff it's it's very it's quite visceral and and intense. It is. Have you ever been to Notre Dame? I have. Yeah. What did, yeah. what did you think? I thought that it was a very pretty church. It was much smaller than I expected. Like this movie makes it look gargantuan and it is large. Like it's a, it's a you know, it's an old style cathedral, but it's mm. not as big as I expected. I also remember um, distinctly hanging around because, you know, when I was traveling, I was young and a bit of an idiot and I was like, oh, the church bells will go at the every hour. And so if I <laughs> hang around and hear the hour, I can hear these famed bells of Notre, <laughs> Notre Dame. Dame. Um, and so the, I think it was like four o'clock in the afternoon rolled around and they just sort of did their four o'clock thing. I was like, ah. Oh, that's a bit sad. But then I realised that there's like a particular time that all the churches do their big bell thinging. Yeah. And I think it's like I think it's probably midday, midday or something. I think, yeah. Um, so I felt very sheepish after that, <laughs> and I've never been to Paris since, so I haven't been able to rectify that. Yeah, I remember because um, we went to I, I travelled with my friend Lauren. This is many many years ago. Yeah, uh, actually, ten years ago. There you go. Um, and we went to Liverpool first. Yeah. And they have, I think it's the second largest cathedral in the world. I don't think it's the largest. But yeah. it was, it, this thing was gigantic and it had so many offshooting bits and you, you could just, you could walk through it quite freely. Um, mm. I remember being at one point and I could hear a choir rehearsing upstairs. It was really magical. Yeah. And then the following week we went to Paris and we went to Notre Dame and it just felt like a massive tourist attraction. Yeah. And there was actually a mass happening at the time so we couldn't walk through it. We could only walk around once we went inside just the edge. We couldn't yeah. like walk through the pews. And aside from seeing the, the gigantic window, which is quite mm, a stained glass very window, beautiful. circular window, it felt like we just kind of walked around the edge and everywhere there were um, like those coin pressy things where you put in a – not a dollar because their dollars are – 
like a or whatever, or you know, put the coin yeah. and it presses a coin. They were everywhere. And then as I was leaving, I saw a tiny little box that said for the poor on it. Yeah. And it actually made me really sad that they weren't the boxes that were everywhere. Instead, it was yeah. just, you know, kind of tax money. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 So I didn't, I wasn't wowed by it like I wanted to. I was, however, um, really amazed to see the, See the gargoyles on the outside. They are mm. actually quite, you know, it's very gothic ar- yeah. architecture. It's not the kind of nice angelic stuff you see nowadays. Yeah. Something that I found really fascinating, uh, and it may, I don't remember if this was at Notre Dame or if it was at like the, you know, a local museum or something, but it showed the stages of construction of the cathedral. Because mm. the, the cathedral, like it was starting to be built in like the, 1100s or something like it, yeah. it's very very old yes um and so looking at like the the artist rendering of the different stages of construction was quite interesting i i think that the setting of the place is quite beautiful like on that little island where you've got the sun the sand the sign the sand on both sides i think it's a really pretty location yeah um yeah it's uh it's it it it, it is something but it's also Quite disappointing, as you've said, yeah. Mm. But uh, that being said. <laughs> <laughs> We're not here to dissect gothic cathedrals. Tourist attractions in Europe. Um, <laughs> we are here today to talk about the incredible The Hunchback, Hunchback of, of Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. Anytime that fucking uh, that that motif starts up, it sends a chill down my spine. Yeah, uh, it is so good, especially because it sounds at like it starts down the octave essentially, and mm. then the sopranos go up the octave for the second round. Yeah. And it just oh man, mm. oh my and goodness! I I haven't done a comparison of the. Um, cartoon to the stage show but it feels like that end note on the stage show in particular they hold that thing for like uh, 12 ages. bars or some shit it is huge it is huge so and good. It, it's definite definite case of lots of um i was gonna say circular breathing well, staggered breathing yeah, circular yeah, breathing is what you do yeah. when you play didgeridoo yeah. um, <laughs> which hey look all props to them if they can look, manage if that they can do it uh, but lots of staggered breathing. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, staggered breathing is when you have a bunch of usually sopranos, the ones mm. that are doing it, um, holding one note forever, which is physically impossible to do. So yeah. say there's four sopranos, you're all going to take a breath at a different time and that way the note keeps going because if you all breathe at the same time, the note's going to stop. So it's like I breathe, then you breathe, then you breathe, then you breathe, and that way the note never stops going. Because, um, yeah. yeah, I've tried singing along in the car and I, I clock out a couple of seconds because <laughs> it's so loud. Like yeah. it's so big and so loud. There's so much air coming out when you're up there. Yeah. Um, oh, so good. So uh, do we have a drink? We do. We have a drink. It's not um, like, you know, sometimes in the past I've made a drink for us or I've created something. Today I thought we'd just go with something classic because we are once again remote. So, 
you know, finding uh, time to, to, to come up with something can be tricky, but sometimes the classics are just good as well. And so today we are going with a cocktail that people may have heard of. It's called the French 75. The French 75 is, um, as I said, it's a classic cocktail. It was made in Paris around about the end of World War One, somewhere around there in a French bar. Um, and it is... 30 uh, millilitres of gin, two dashes of simple syrup, uh, 15 millilitres of lemon juice, and then you put all that into a cocktail shaker with some ice, you shake it vigorously, and then you strain it into a champagne glass and top the rest of the glass up with champagne. Some people, some of those uh, ingredients may sound familiar. It was adapted to become the Tom Collins um, and made more popular through that usage. But instead of champagne, the Tom Collins uses uh, carbonated water. So, yeah, that's the French 75 made famous by movies such as Casablanca and uh, Mr. Selfridge, the TV show. There you go. I've made a Tom Collins before. Okay, yeah. So you've, you've mostly made a French 75 then. There you go. There you go. Cheers. Cheers. Okay. It's there's a lot to talk about with this film, so it's time to jump into some stats. The year is nineteen ninety-six. Good year. The movie is The Hunchback of Notre Dame. The music is by Alan Menken. Good music. <laughs> the lyrics are by Stephen Schwartz. Good lyrics. And the score is also by Alan Menken. Good score. <laughs> <laughs> In the cast, we've got Tom Hulse as Quasimodo, Demi mm. Moore as Esmeralda, Tony Jay as Claude Frollo, Kevin Kline as Captain Phoebus, Paul Kendall as Kloppen, Charles Kimbra as Victor, Jason Alexander as Hugo, Mary Wicks as Laverne. We've also got some familiar names in here. We've got a little cameo by David Ogden Steers as the Archdeacon. And we've also got Frank Welker, who we know is the voice of pretty much any animal we've done in the past five, yeah. eight years. Yeah. Um, he plays the baby bird that flies right at the start of the movie when Quasimodo's like, be free. Oh, Today's that's your day to fly. <laughs> <laughs> that's very cute. So, yeah, some some cool, interesting names in here. So Tom Hulse, who voices Quasimodo, mm. he went on to be the producer of Spring Awakening, an American Idiot on Broadway. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so one really great musical and one really piece of trash musical. Uh, look, honestly, I've never seen American Idiot, so I can't oh. give a, a proper opinion on that, but I do love <laughs> the music in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have a mutual friend who I won't name and shame, but uh, he, when I, I was, uh, there was a time when I was seeing him quite a lot and he would often make fun of me for my musical tastes. And I remember him saying one time that, you know, he was making fun of American Idiot and this was before I'd seen it. And so I was, I was defending. I was like, no, you just don't, nah, like, you don't get it. And all that sort of stuff. You don't and, understand me. And then I went and saw it and I was like, oh, fucking hell, he's right. And I can never <laughs> tell him that he's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, uh, Tom Hulse actually was, uh, I recognized the name, but I couldn't pick where it was from. He was the 
uh, he was Mozart in the Amadeus film from the 1980s that Amadeus, won all Amadeus. the uh, Academy Awards. Yes, he was. Yeah, so um, that was really, really cool to see. I've never seen it, but that mm. is a fact. Mm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> big movie, big movie. Demi Moore as Esmeralda. So this was the same year that Striptease came out, and I love that. <laughs> hey. <laughs> one for mum and dad, one for the kids. That's the way she works. And like G.I. Jane came like a year later or something. So. <laughs> and uh, she was one of two people who they just straight out offered the contract to. Ah. And basically they were looking for a huskier voice than the sort of f- um, female predecessors before that. So a mm. lot of the voices were kind of the same. They wanted something huskier, so they chose her. Yeah. And she is the only person that doesn't do her own singing. And basically she sang the demos and eventually said to them, you need to find someone better. Right. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. She was she was married to Bruce Willis at this stage too, I think. So I was, was going like, to say uh, this is pre-Ashton Kutcher. Pre-Ashton Kutcher, yeah. 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 Yeah, interesting choice for this movie. I guess because, like, they had some pretty big names in the last one with Mel Gibson and stuff like that. So I guess it's not out of left field. But, yeah, she it is strange that she's, like, where her career is at, that this is uh, this is the movie she chose to do. But it, yeah. I think she's got a good voice for the character. Yeah, she does. And uh, I probably should mention, mention there's also a bit of a funny slash, I guess, kind of sad story here. So originally Cindy Lauper was in the cast. Oh. And she auditioned. They said you're in and she started rehearsing Esmeralda. They sent her the script. She started rehearsing Esmeralda. And then they said to her, oh, no, 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 we've cast you as one of the gargoyles. Oh. <laughs> Sorry for the miscommunication, Miss Goose. You're not playing the lead. You're playing a gargoyle. And originally um, the gargoyles were originally named Charney, Lawton, and Quinn, who were the names of the people who'd played Quasimodo in the previous film iterations oh, okay. of this. okay. Yep, yep. But then they thought they were going to get sued by all their estates and some of them were still alive, so they changed them. Um, but she was originally playing Quinn. Yeah, And okay. Sam McMurray was playing um, one of the other ones as well. They were both cut after they did a bunch of, like, demo recordings. But, right. yeah, I just think it's kind of sad that she would be like, yeah, I'm playing the lead. And then they're like, no, babe, sorry. <laughs> Don't you think you'd ask for confirmation on that, though? It's like, yes, well, I'll be in your movie. <laughs> yes, yeah, someone fucked up there. Like, yeah. I'm going to blame her agent. Surely your yeah. agent has to tell yeah. you what you're reading. Surely yeah, you don't just absolutely. sort of decide for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's a choose your own adventure. She's like, I'll be Quasimodo. Yeah. My guess is she auditioned for Esmeralda. They decided to cast her as a gargoyle, but they just forgot to mention that. Like someone just yeah. said, I'll oh, tell her she got it. And yeah. she assumed, yeah, that has to be why. <laughs> yeah, surely, surely. Also in the running for Quasimodo was Meatloaf. Oh, so shit. Okay. He, <laughs> he got the first offer, but they couldn't come to an agreement. Uh, with his record company, so yeah. he didn't get it. And then they offered it to Monday Pratinkin. Finishing the hat. Okay. And because he's got a very distinct acting style. Yeah. And it didn't work with how they saw the character. And he said to them, this isn't going to work because the way he performs is very different to kind of what they wanted. It's yeah. not for Disney, the way that she talks. And um, so, yeah, he was cutting it and ended up going to Tom Holtz. We've spoken about Mandy Patinkin recently, haven't we? I feel like we have. I feel like, was he up for Beauty and the Beast? Possibly. As yeah. the Beast? I feel like he was in line for the Beast. Okay. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Go back, loyal listeners, go back and find that out. I'm pretty sure he was because there were a lot of people up for that, I remember, and I'm pretty yeah. sure he was one of them. Okay. So who else did I mention? We've got Tony J as Claude Frollo. He wasn't the first choice. The first choice was Anthony Hopkins. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah. that would have been interesting. Hannibal Lecter, but he just flat out turned it down. Yeah. Uh, and then they gave it to Tony J. And this isn't the first time we've heard him. He was also Monsieur d'Arc in Beauty and the Beast. I don't usually leave the asylum in the middle of the night. Yes, he was. Yeah, the asylum guy. The guy yeah. that runs the loony yeah. bin. And for any of our Patreon listeners, uh, we covered his voice on Tailspin and The Jungle Book 2 over on patreon.com slash Disney, where you can get access to uh, early episodes as well as bonus episodes. What? Yeah, we did. Who, who did he voice in? Um... Shia Khan. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. There you go. Hmm. Um, Kevin Klein as Captain Phoebus. I love him as Maurice in the live action Beauty and the Beast. Is he, is he Maurice in the live? Yeah, I have. I didn't realize he was Maurice though. Yeah, yeah okay. He's Maurice. I um, he's- really like uh, Kevin Klein in general. Yeah, I do too. He's also Cole Porter in De Lovely. Have you seen yes, that? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. He's, he's a really um, honest actor. One of my favorite movies growing up. Um, which isn't a very kid-friendly movie, but I guess, you know, this is the family household I grew up in, um, is A Fish Called Wanda. Have you ever seen that? Oh, okay. Um, is that the one where she does the striptease? No, that's the, uh, no. that's True Lies. Yeah, okay, no. But you think of the right actress. It's, yeah. um, oh, shit, what's her the name? The redhead. Um, uh, oh, fuck, I can't remember her name. Oh, my God. It's got Michael Palin and John Cleese in it. Um, yeah, She's got great, the legs. Great, great movie. Great movie. Yeah, cool. Uh, who else is in here? Um, Paul Kendall, who played Clo- – is it Cloppin or Cloppan? Cloppin? Cl- uh, Cl- Cloppin, Cloppin, yeah. Cl- Cl- Cloppin. Cloppin. He was just big on Broadway is how yeah. I'm going to put it. He was in everything. Like I looked yeah. at his bio and I was like, just say he was in a lot of stuff. Um- <laughs> yeah, um, most notably I think he won the Tony for uh, playing a character in The Who's Tommy. Yes, yes. He was yeah. Uncle something. Uncle something, yeah. Uncle something, yeah. I've seen Tommy once. He was Uncle – Earl or something. Um, so the the three gargoyles were Charles Kimber, Jason Alexander, and Mary Wicks. So we probably most famously know Jason Alexander from Seinfeld. Mm, yeah, he done it. He's done a few other things as well. He but he got this because he was in Aladdin: Return of Jafar. Yes, he was, which yeah. we've yet to cover, but <laughs> we'll be random covering character like <laughs> Arby or something. Uh, Arbus Marl, he's the um, he's the new bad guy, essentially. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's how he he got his way in here. Interesting and sad stuff about Mary Wicks. So I didn't uh, realize this, but Mary Wicks. So we know her from Sister Act. She is um, she plays Mary Lazarus, yeah. who's like the old grumpy nun. Yeah, yeah. And I think did she does she start off? She runs the choir. Uh I think so, yes. yes. Yeah, she's like, she's really grumpy and old. If you've seen Sister Act, you'll know who we're talking about. You're a ringer. She brought you here to replace me. Out with the old. She was actually the animation model for Cruella de Vil when 101 Dalmatians was being made. Oh, really? Yeah, when she was obviously a lot younger, she was yeah. the model. Oh, there you go. Yeah, which I thought was really cool. Um, she also played Aunt March in Little Women, the film. Oh, yes, yep. Um, but unfortunately she passed away whilst they were recording this. Yeah, I did. I did read that. Yeah, this was yeah. the final film. 
So the final six lines of dialogues, dialogue were done by an actress named Jane Withers. But, yeah, I, I thought that was really sad for two reasons. One, because she died, and two, yeah. she died playing this role. Yeah, yeah. It is. She has a very distinct voice. Like I, I didn't does. pick it what it was from immediately, but immediately I was like, "That's someone I know. I know that person." Yeah, yeah. Mind you, she's she's probably the most tolerable of the three gargoyles yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you gotta get out there, Quasi. <laughs> and so, yeah, when Cindy Lauper was playing that role, essentially, yeah. Um, when they decided that Laverne was going to be like an older, wiser character, they realized. Cindy Lauper just wasn't going to work. Yeah. And yeah. I'll just read their names again. It's Victor and Hugo, as in yeah. Victor Hugo, yep. and Laverne. Now, I've read in one place they named her Laverne because that was Victor Hugo's sister. And okay. in other places I've read Laverne because that was the name of one of the Andrew sisters. Oh, okay. Which has fuck all to do with anything else. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. In a lot of places I saw one of those two options, so I thought I'll just say both and we'll leave it ambiguous. Yeah. David Ogden Steers, who was the archdeacon, was Cogsworth in Beauty and the Beast. He was also Governor Ratcliffe and Wiggins in Pocahontas, which we, we covered recently. Yeah, yep, last episode. Yeah, so he's the um, – he basically – he's only in the start. He sings a little bit of the bells of – Notre Dame, he does sing one of my favourite lines in that song. Yeah. But, yeah, he's in that. And then, interestingly, we've got Mary Kay Bergman as Jarley the goat. Okay, yep. She also plays um, Quasimodo's mother who dies on the steps. Oh, okay, yeah, She's right. got a, a yeah. couple of little lines at the start. But what's super interesting about her, she replaced Adriana Casalotti as the voice of Snow White. Oh, okay. So when Adriana, you know how Adriana had that stupid lock-in contract? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She became the replacement voice of Snow White and she re-recorded some of her dialogue in the film and Adriana Casalotti did not know about it until the film came out. Oh, that's really really gross. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And she's also the original Daphne in Scooby-Doo and she's also Cartman's Cartman's mother. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's kind of cool. And, yeah, and then um, other name that comes up a lot when we're doing these is Jim Cummings is also in this, but he's just some of the, like, random guards that work for Frollo, so he's no one significant, but Jim Cummings is in here and Frank Welker is in here just doing random bits and bobs because, you know, it wouldn't be a Disney movie if those guys weren't in it. Absolutely. Songs that you may recognise from this score, uh, I think the biggest hit was actually Someday, which was cut from this movie but was a huge hit. Yeah. Because uh, it, it was recorded by, was it All For One? All For One, yeah, for yeah. the credits. Someday when we are So it's still in the credits, but it was cut from the film. Yeah. That was the biggest song that came out of here. Um, the other two that are most famous are Out There and God Help the Outcasts, which uh, last week I said Colours of the Wind was the one that I sung at all the singing competitions. God Help the Outcasts was probably second to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was always it was either Colours of the Wind, God Help the Outcasts or Feed the Birds. They were like the three songs I sung everywhere when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> 
the uh, the I think they call that the soprano trio. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the I want to be a Disney princess trilogy. Um, it only received uh, two nominations: one at the Academy Awards, one for one at the Golden Globes, both for best score. They were the only um, nominations that it received. That's really interesting to me, because this is like it's a very good movie. How was Out There not nominated for Best Song? Yeah, I I, I do not. I, I, I'm guessing they can only nominate. Well, yeah, no, because so they were only nominated for score. The, they've always put forward the I Want song, like Part of Your World was nominated, Colors of the Wind was nominated. Um, well, Beauty and the Beast didn't really have one, so it was Beauty and the Beast. But this would be the obvious one, I would think, yeah. to go up because it's, it's an I Want song. I have to look it up what was nominated because I feel like 96 it might have been the Dangerous Minds year which I can kind of get then I need, I need to look up what uh, what won. Oh, okay, fucking I'm up. actually really interested to know this. What was up? This is really won? weird. I have only heard of two of these songs. Okay. That were up for best original song at the Academy Awards that year. One is the one that won You Must Love Me from Evita. So the Evita oh film God. must have been that year. Um, really? The, yeah, yeah. Uh, the other one is That Thing You Do from the movie That Thing You Do, which okay. I believe Tom Hanks directed and was in. What were the other songs that were nominated? Because You Loved Me from Up Close oh, and Personal. For all the first times you made me something. Yeah, that was Celine Dion. <laughs> I'm everything I am because you love me. I remember that song. I know that song. <laughs> uh, for the first time from One Fine Day and I finally found someone from The Mirror Has Two Faces by Barbara Streisand and Brian, and Brian Adams. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm a little bit more across these songs than you, but yeah, they're all clearly, like yeah. very like naff love yeah. songs. yeah. Interesting. It is, yeah. It's it, it's weird that it didn't even get a look in because it's a great song. I, I'm assuming they didn't put it forward, but why wouldn't yeah. they put it forward? It's so strange. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like at the time, a lot of attention was on um, Pocahontas and Mulan when this was being made. Yeah. This was okay. put together by um, a lot of the team from like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Okay. Thank you for allowing me to go on my little hunt there. Yeah, so um, a couple of uh, facts about when this was made. So there was a big push when this was being made. The brief was we need to make an animated musical that is similar to the likes of Les Mis and Phantom of the Opera <laughs> Okay. in terms of that like pop operatic stuff. Yeah. And I think I think they nailed it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's French. It's French. <laughs> is flesh. I think uh, in terms of the score, I, I I don't know so much. Some of the songs, like you hear Hellfire and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't know about a girl like you. but um, <laughs> No. No. God Help the Outcasts. Yeah I, yeah, I see it next to like I Dreamed a Dream. So this has the same directors as Beauty and the Beast. Yep. They were at the time working on a an Orpheus and Eurydice story about whales. And... Uh, <laughs> Okay. If that was that was dropped for this, and I have to say, I'm quite happy about it. <laughs> you had me, and then you said about whales, and I was like, "Huh?" <laughs> and then I thought you meant whales, the country, and then I was no, like, "No, no, no!" I, mean, I like, think, like, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. So now we have this and Finding Nemo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this film was not successful. It has like gained quite a large following over time, but mm. it wasn't successful for a number of reasons. So first of all, it's got real tonal problems. Yeah. Um, this film just doesn't really know what it wants to be, what its market is, what its vibe is. It's kind of like super serious and super adult and then it's like super childish and slapstick and funny mm. and then it's back to it like swings so hard yeah. that critics had a lot of a really hard time kind of pick, putting this like what is this film, where does yeah. it belong? Yeah. Because um, sometimes it's full drama and sometimes it's full comedy and um, so, yeah, it's, it's yeah, as, as much as I love this film, it that does drive me bonkers when I watch it. Yeah, it is quite jarring because that's probably the thing that I didn't like most about it is the fact that a guy like you comes after Hellfire, you know, so it's, it is very tonally jarring. So I do get that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's my understanding, like ha- having said that, with the numbers and stuff like that, worldwide it was the fifth highest grossing film that year. So like – it it still did okay, but mm. not as well as they were expecting. Obviously, I think it, it's just hard because after Lion King, they just didn't get back yeah. up there. No, um, no, and I think this film would have done better if it was the one straight after the Lion King. But because Pocahontas yeah. wasn't a massive smash hit, the faith in Disney was already starting to sort of dwindle a bit because sure. you just they're trying to get another Lion King out and they just they can't do it. Um, the other issue was. Intentionally, this film was marketed in a way that was extremely misleading. Do you remember when this film came out? Do you remember like the fast food ads and stuff? For some reason, I I remember all this. No, I don't. So I remember all of the marketing for this was Cloppin. Yeah, yeah. The like court jester looking dude and the gargoyles. And it was all about like the festival and the party and the celebration and like there were toys. Hungry Jacks, which is the Australian version of Burger King, was huge on the toys and there was like little finger puppets or something. Um, And the ads, I looked up some of them. It's it's so weird when you know what the film's about because they have like Quasimodo – in the cape and the hat being hoisted up and it's like, you know, be raised up like Quasimodo and this little girl's running around with like this Quasimodo figurine. Like if you think about these characters, right, so you've got like um, a deformed, ostracised person. Yeah. We've also got marginalised, a woman from a marginalised community. Yeah. Um, We've got a horny as fuck priest. Yeah. And then we've got three random slaptastic gargoyles. Yeah. How do you market that? Like... (laughs) It's true. Do you, do you tap into the horniness or you, do you yeah. tap into the slapstick? <laughs> yeah. Everyone tries to kill him. She nearly dies. Like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, but it was all about like come join the festival. So the way that this was marketed, it looked like a really fun film. So when families went to see it, it was very like what what the shit is this? This isn't mm. what how it was advertised, but that's how they sold tickets. And yeah. so I think that's where a lot of the backlash came from as well because people were seeing a completely different movie to what was advertised. Joke's on you guys. We've already got your money. So, <laughs> Other issues that people had with it were was the overtly sexualization of Esmeralda. And it's there. It's fucking there. She's sexy. She's so sexy. And she, then on top of that, because she was like the third um, coloured protagonist, 
when they put her, Pocahontas, and Jasmine side by side, all three of them are quite sexualized. Yeah, yeah. Compared to everyone else. Like if you put the outfit of Pocahontas next to Alice or Belle next to Jasmine, you know, Jasmine's got midriff, so does Pocahontas. You know, um, Esmeralda's like sexy dancing in a little, yeah, it's just... It, it, it when you see it like that, it's very obvious. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of just making the non-white protagonists like exotic creatures instead. Yeah, of- it is, it, it, and it it feels gross now that you're saying it like that because I, it's not, I guess it's not like that sort of t- tying it to people of color being represented as, as these sexualized pe- beings. Um, mm. Yeah, I didn't really t- tie it to that, but when you say it like that, it does feel gross. It feels like a. a you know, someone from a, a, a foreign land that I don't understand. Ooh, I must have them hellfire. Yeah. Nah, let's, let's check out their midriff. Um, yeah, yeah. So even though like Jasmine and Pocahontas aren't obviously aren't like all sexy in the film like Esmeralda is, but mm. if you look at like I love seeing when people do artwork of what Disney characters would have been wearing if, if it was real. Yeah. And Jasmine yeah. is so covered up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, there were issues with that. And then the other issue people had was with changes to the source material. Yeah, okay, here we go. Okay, so (laughs) obviously there's a book and it's a really long book. In fact, it's nearly, I think it was 444 pages I went through. Yeah. And I have done my absolute best to summarise, underline, underline this for Will. <laughs> this is a bit of a long one, but I promise it's a it's a good one. It was a it, – the story is good. It's just a really tough read. Like if you think Lord of the Rings is a tough read, it's like that times 50. It's like Lord of the Rings but French. Yeah. Just like Tolkien <laughs> takes five pages to describe a field and one sentence to walk through it. This guy takes nine pages to describe the cathedral and one sentence to describe what's actually happening in there. Mm. (laughs) There was a lot of skip ahead, skip ahead when I was reading this and it's also very convoluted in the way that it's written. I don't know, did you ever read Les Mis or try to read Les Mis? Yeah, I did, yeah, once upon a time. It's it's dense. Yeah. This was was harder to read than Les Mis. But anyway, over to you, Will, for for my summary. Enjoy, guys. Our story begins on the 6th of January, 1482, my birthday, at the Festival <laughs> of Fools, which is you also old. what I call my birthday. So <laughs> <laughs> Hugo starts banging on about the building and it's all and all it's been through, fires, wars and the like. We meet Joannes Johannes. Jo- Johannes. Johannes. Uh, I apologise. Johannes Frollo, the brother of our famous supervillain. That skipped ahead 42 pages and we are still at the festival and watching a competition to see who can pull the ugliest face. Quasimodo is there and the crowd is shocked to realise that he isn't pulling a face, but he's just a hot mess of a human. Described as his whole person but in one grimace, here is a bullet point of his features. A tetrahedron-like nose, horseshoe-shaped mouth, uneven broken teeth, forked chin, prodigious head covered with red bristles, an enormous hump between his shoulders counterbalanced by a protuberance in the front, legs that only touch at the knees, only has one eye. Between all of the heinous insults, Quasimodo is recognised as the bell ringer from Notre Dame. When they realise he's deaf because of the bells, they decide that it makes him freaky enough to make him the Pope of Fools. They adorn him with a cape and hoist him up on the platform to parade him around the city. End of chapter. 
Despite her name being the title of the next chapter, it's not until about 20 pages later we meet Esmeralda. She's dancing her sexy dance and Frollo is watching on, extremely turned on by her sorcery. This is this all happens to be taking place in the square where King Quasimodo was coronated earlier. And at this moment, the parade returns with him still hoisted in the air. Frollo runs into the crowd and takes Quasimodo's staff. Super pissed, Quasimodo runs after him, ready to take him down until he realises it's the Archdeacon Frollo and crumbles in submission. Uh, something, something, Quasimodo tries to abduct Esmeralda in a dark alley. Phoebus saves her. Oh, so Quasimodo is a bad guy in this. Yeah, he's just an angry guy. So it's it's apparent that when he's in at the Festival of Fools, this isn't the first time that he's been outside. Yeah. And he's very aware of how cruel people can be. So if anyone sort of does wrong by him, he gets really violent. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Into Quasi's backstory, he was left on the steps of Notre Dame and discovered around age four. A bunch of women saw him and called for him to be slaughtered. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> however, it is, however, he is found by the youngest priest in Notre Dame, who claims him. Frollo is smart, so he teaches Quasimodo to speak, read, and write. However, once the bells deafened him, Quasi chose to remain silent, super loyal to the death, and a slave for Frodo. Fro- um, Frodo. Frodo. Frollo. <laughs> Mr. Frodo. <laughs> so there, there's something about, like, Frollo takes him because he's feeling guilty about his younger brother and the way that he would have been treated something, something. I don't know. I was like, okay. oh, whatever. Just... Basically, Frollo says, I will take him and takes him and takes that's him. it. And he's That's he's how you like, get a child, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I think I just like I walk into the hospital, I just go, I will take that one <laughs> and the nurses wrap them up and give them to me. Isn't that what happens? And and that's like the one of the biggest differences here is he is the archdeacon. He is yeah. the top of the top of Paris. And he is like mega smart. It like lists all the degrees he has and he had them by he was 18. And then he became the Archdeacon by the time he was 22 or well, I mean, something. This, this, this was 1482. I feel like yeah. Oxford was only offering one course and it was not dying before you're 20. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, so back to the abduction. Quasi is put on trial, then bound to a wheel in the square where the day before he was hailed Pope of Fools. They then start to whip him endlessly until the crowd nearly stones him to death. Frollo sees all this, but yeets out of there quick smart. Bye! Like Jesus, <laughs> Quasimodo starts crying for water, but the crowd just laughs. Like Mary, Esmeralda walks up to the platform and gives him some water. He tries to kiss her hand and she freaks out, thinking he wants to eat her. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Over to Phoebus, he's watching his fiancée working on something with her friends and thinking about war and boobies. His fiancée spots Esmeralda dancing in the square and calls her over, knowing that's who Phoebus saved the other week. Jolly does a goat trick with some scrabble tiles and Esmeralda, who is having hardcore eye sex with Phoebus, quickly runs off. Frollo was watching her dance, is super jealous that she went to chat up Phoebus, so he finds out that the Scrabble trick spelt the name Phoebus and starts a Javert-style mission to hunt this dude down. Okay, so Phoebus is like just some dude. Yeah, Phoebus is a real dick. Like he's all about war and sex, even yeah. though he has a fiance. That's mm. a that's a big part of this. Yeah, okay. he has a fiance, but he has he has sex with basically everyone in Paris. And yeah, he see after he saved Esmeralda, they kind of become a bit obsessed with each other. The Scrabble thing's weird. It's like so his fiance 
kind of hates Esmeralda because mm. she can tell Phoebus into her. Mm. And they, her and her friends, like, I think they, like, drop, like, a bag of Scrabble tiles onto the goat and then the goat spells out Phoebus. I don't I don't know how it works. Oh, okay. But, yeah, she, um, Esmeralda's really embarrassed by it because, obviously, she's taught it to spell Phoebus because that's yeah. who she's, she's burning for at the moment. She's, she's digging on. She's into that. On to page 300 and Folo checks down his prey in a bar with Esmeralda. He bails up Phoebus in disguise and asks what he's up to. Phoebus explains he's going to try and bone Esmeralda and Frollo pays Phoebus to hide him in a closet in the room so he can watch. Dot, dot, dot. Look, still not the weirdest original story we've had. Hashtag sleeping beauty. True, true, true. <laughs> In the room, Esmeralda reveals he is 100% hellbent in love with. Uh, she's 100% hellbent in love with Phoebus, and Phoebus reveals he has a giant erection. <laughs> what a what a response to a declaration of love. Just, yeah, cool. What about yeah, she's this though? Like, I am overwhelmingly passionately in love with you, and he's basically like, I have a giant erection. Cool. Let's bone. Get a load of this. <laughs> Just as Phoebus is about to slide his sword into a stone, well done, uh, Frollo leaps out of the closet like a howler monkey and stabs Phoebus in the back with a knife. Poor lovesick Esmeralda faints and when she wakes up, the room is full of guards who are there to arrest her for sorcery and accuses her of murdering Phoebus. Oh shit, so Phoebus dies. Okay. On trial, Esmeralda pleads innocence, so just like any good justice system does when they don't get the answer they want, they torture the shit out of her until she pleads guilty. Classic, classic move. They throw her in a cell, and she's there for so long that she basically loses her mind. With a totally broken spirit, she is confronted by Frollo, who thrusts into her... (laughs) Thrusts into her (laughs) cell? (laughs) Fucking hell. (laughs) That's grim. Um, (laughs) Thrusts into her... Sell. <laughs> and proclaims his overwhelming obsession with her and tells her the truth about that night. Here's where you can start singing Choose Me or The Pyre. Finding out that Phoebus is dead, Esmeralda pushes him out, telling him to stick his propositions up his butthole. Ah, turns out Phoebus is actually alive. And uh, hearing about the trial, he decides that the goat bitch was probably a witch and sets his sights back on his fiancée. So... So he was stabbed in the back and he just was like left? Yeah, he's basically like, tis but a scratch. Oh. So when she, when she wakes up, the guards have already dragged him out of there. That's why she okay. doesn't know. All right. And then when she asks Frollo what happened to Phoebus, he says he's dead and she fucking loses it. Okay. So he's basically, he knows she loves him, so he's convinced if she says he's dead, then Esmeralda will, will go with Frollo. Right, okay. Yeah. Back at home and with popcorn in hand, he and his wife head out to the balcony for the daily hanging in the square. The priest meets Esmeralda in the church and gives her one last chance to repent. The priest being Frollo and repent meaning be my sex slave. She asks him again about Phoebus and he tells her again that he's dead. Then Frollo goes out to the crowd and sees Phoebus standing on the balcony. Horrified, he marches Esmeralda to the gallows in the square, praying she won't see him. As soon as she gets outside, she spots Phoebus and screams out his name. In response, Phoebus pretends there's something burning in the oven and runs inside the house with his fiance. <laughs> oh no, my bread. <laughs> Esmeralda is so overwhelmed she faints and it's here we get the awesome scene where Quasimodo sweeps down and rescues her, landing on the cathedral shouting sanctuary with her sanctuary! lifeless body above his head. Sanctuary! 
It's epic moment. Epic moment. So epic. Quasimodo has stashed Esmeralda in the church and with some help from the nuns, got her some clothes and food. She tries to communicate with him but fails and he is saddened by the terror in her eyes every time she sees him. He leaves her a whistle that he can hear so she can blow it whenever she would like his company. She never uses it. Esmeralda walks to the window of the cathedral and sees Phoebus outside. Still in love with this doofus, she starts shouting out to him, but he doesn't hear. Totally fucking heartbroken, Quasimodo offers to go get Phoebus for her, lamenting their difference in appearance. When Quasi finds Phoebus, he responds with, I thought she hanged, out of my way, and kicks Quasi to the ground before gallivanting away on a horse. Rollo finds out that Esmeralda didn't hang and is hiding in the church. For weeks, he plans his second attempt on her boobies and one night bursts into the room and tries to rape her. It's now that she finally blows the whistle to call Quasimodo. Quasi runs in and not realising who he is, throws Frodo out the cell to kill him with a knife. Frollo. It's Frollo, not Frodo. Do I keep saying Frodo? You know, maybe I'm just imagining it because maybe it would be better with Frodo. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Quasi. The ring came to me. Out of the cell to kill him with a knife. Once he realises who it is, he cowers before his master. Esmeralda grabs the knife, threatening suicide if Frollo doesn't leave. Frollo is now hella jealous of Quasimodo. This guy. A new decree is issued to nullify sanctuary in the church. Upon hearing this, the people riot and storm the church to save Esmeralda. Thinking the people are there to kill her, Quasimodo starts a kick-ass battle. At some point, two men broke into the church to rescue Esmeralda. She gets into a boat uh, with them where, upon arriving at the shore, one man leaves whilst the other man drags her through the streets to the gallows. The man is Frollo. And Frollo has more fucking costumes than uh, a professional theatre actor. The man is Frollo, and once again, he's asking her to love him or die. She refuses and throws her in the cell with another prisoner. The other prisoner hides her, and when guards come to get her, they assume she escapes and leaves. Just afterwards, Esmeralda hears the voice of Phoebus and bursts out screaming his name. Phoebus is gone, but the guards are not, and they seize her. Quasimodo has spent hours searching the cathedral for Esmeralda. As the sun is rising, he sees Frollo standing on a precipice, watching the square and laughing. When Quasimodo looks out, he sees Esmeralda hanging by the neck. In a fit of rage, he pushes Frollo off the building. Hanging on for dear life, Frollo screams for his life, but Quasimodo just sits lifeless, staring out at the square. Two years later, the people find that Esmeralda's tomb has been opened, and when they look inside, they see a strangely shaped second skeleton clinging to that of Esmeralda. When they try to remove it, the skeleton of Quasimodo turns to dust. The end. It's interesting because, um, as I have already mentioned, I was listening a lot to the Broadway soundtrack, or not the Broadway, the the stage musical soundtrack, mm. and I was looking at the plot for that, and it looks like the plot for that is a meshing of the animated movie and the original story. There's yeah, quite it's a few much, elements. Much closer. They they mentioned the brother in the opening. Yeah. in Bells of Notre Dame. Mm. Uh, they also do a version of that ending. So the ending of the stage show is she burns instead mm. of gets hung yeah. and she dies and then Quasimodo retrieves her body and takes her back into the cathedral and then just holds her 
body until he turns to dust, which I think is very sad. What is incredibly powerful, though, is the bookending of the stage musical. At the start, the actor playing Quasimodo mm. is is just dressed as a in, in plain clothes. Mm. And then as they're singing the Bells of Notre Dame, he puts the hump on his back and he starts to hunch and he becomes Quasimodo. Mm. And then, and that's during the who is the monster and who is the man. Mm. And then in the finale, they start the the final reprise of the Bells of Notre Dame and Quasimodo puts Esmeralda down. She gets up and walks off. Yeah. And then he stands up and as he's singing who is the monster and who is the man, he's taking off the hump and he stands up straight. Mm. And I found it so powerful because you you do you realize have i been seeing him differently because he looked disfigured mm. and then when he takes that off do i see him differently do i see a monster in a man mm. and i think it's an incredible bit of direction mm. i think that that lyric also is just amazing oh yeah no so good so good oh there's there's so much good stuff in this movie movie so people were really upset about the changes to the source material yeah and right what I found really interesting is when I went back, the the Hunchback of Notre Dame has been re, has been revised so many times in film. Mm. So the the first one was a film called La Esmeralda. It came out in 1836, and it was an opera actually, and it totally failed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but basically, censors demanded that all the references to Frollo being a priest had to be removed. Oh, okay. So the very first time that this was staged, Frollo was instantly not a priest. Yeah. Phoebus died in it and Esmeralda lived. And so when people say, oh, Esmeralda lived, um, that actually came out in 1836. Oh, shit. And it was written by Victor Hugo. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So... You know, if you want to get mad at someone changing the source material, get mad at the guy who wrote it because he, he was the first person who changed it. Look, 19th century literists are, you know, <laughs> notoriously aggressive. So I, I understand their anger now. Yeah. <laughs> so then in 1923, there was a movie that was a huge success. In it, Quasimodo died and Phoebus was a good guy. So they changed, that's where they changed Phoebus from being a, a kind of real ass of a character into a, a nice guy. Yeah. And then in 1939 there was a movie and it was an exact remake of the 1923 film. Mm. Something I forgot to mention is in the book Esmeralda isn't Romani. Okay. She is white and she was stolen as a child by a bunch of gypsies. Uh, okay. And yep. so, yeah, it, it's kind of weird and like – we, we'll, we'll flip between using the word Romani and gypsy because they do refer to them as gypsies in the film and now that's quite politically incorrect, but that's how it was. And in the 1939 film they decided to change it so that she was Romani instead of a, an abducted child, Yeah. except they cast a white actress, but they were halfway there. Yeah, you, you had the right idea, guys. You just <laughs> didn't see it through. And in that film the Romani were presented as a persecuted underclass. So that's not really a thing in the original book. Yeah, okay. The book's mostly about the building, to be honest, yeah, yeah. and how how we treat the building and how – I mean, that building's been through a lot. It's survived a, a revolution. It's survived fires. 
it survived. At one point, it was like a church for some weird, weird cult, like religious cult at one point took over the church. Like if you read the history of the the building, which I, I read a bit, but I did bother putting it in my overtly long synopsis, that building's been through a lot. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, then we get to the Disney film and the Disney film definitely is not solely based on the original source text. It definitely has taken certain bits from these films. And if you look at the 1939 film, you can actually see certain scenes that look like they were straight taken out of that film and put in the animation. Yeah. So whilst we say it's based on the book by Victor Hugo, really it's based on a lot of the adaptations of, yeah. of the Victor Hugo novel. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's that's the really, really long <laughs> stats with stackers synopsis. It's a good one. It's a good good <laughs> yeah. stats. Good stats with stackers. <laughs> Do we have anything else we should talk about or should we take a quick break and then come back to the songs? I think let's let's go to the songs. Let's take a break and jump in. All right, we'll be right back, guys. Hey guys, Will here. First up, thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Your support gives us motivation and inspiration. If you want to join them over there, where you can listen to a bunch of bonus episodes, head over to Patreon and search for Dissecting Disney Ditties, or just go to patreon.com slash dissectingdisney. We also have merch available now. What is the best Disney song t-shirts are now available in our Redbubble store. You'll find the link on our Facebook or just search for us on Redbubble. Last of all, if you enjoy this podcast, we would really appreciate likes, subscribes, rates, and reviews. In order for more people to find us, we need you to make your voice has heard. So head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. That's it for now. Let's dive into the songs. Alrighty. So before we jump into the songs, for those of you who are listening to our podcast for the first time, welcome. Uh, the way that we rate our songs is via the use of five different categories. It's very scientific. It's uh, it's, it's very <laughs> mathematically driven. It's five categories. Don't question us. Will is heavily overselling this, really. We just pick a number. Um, but the five categories are music, lyrics, animation, contribution to story, and cake. Mm. Will, what is our cake score? Our cake score, or our catchy Kylie earworm score, is how memorable the song is. How much does it stick in your brain? Is it uh, something you forget immediately, or do you know every lyric and every word immediately? Now that we're through that, let's jump into the first song, The Bells of Notre Dame. Awakes to the bells of Notre Dame. The fisherman fishes, the bakerman bakes to the bells of Notre Dame. To the big bells as loud as the thunder, to the little bells soft as a psalm. And some say the soul of the city is the toll of the bells. The bells of Notre Something that I really love about this song in particular, and I know I've said it about other songs in the past that have something clever about the lyrics or something, but the, the thing that really sits in my soul and like warms me from the inside is this is the fact that like the rhymes in this song seem to be in the middle of the sentence, not at the end. So it's things like um some say the soul of the city's the toll of the bells. Like it's just 
it gives it this like iambic pentameter beat almost. And it just, I love it so much. Yeah, and like my favorite line in this is uh, when the archdeacon says, "But you never can run from nor hide what you've done from the eyes, the mm. very eyes of Notre Dame," and that's yeah. referring to the the statue things that are on the outside of the men, and they were originally there. They're not there anymore because they were. I can't remember what they originally were. Some dudes. I think they're like, and I think they're saints or angels or something. They so, usually are something like that. Some dudes. And then like flash forward 100, 200 years and some other people said they're like the former kings of France and we hate them and they beheaded <laughs> the statues. Yeah, I could just, yeah, you just <laughs> imagine some French fuck standing outside the front of the cathedral looking at it going, uh, looks very... Uh, very Sacre bleu. He's a French king. They look they look a bit rich for me. <laughs> anyway, this song fucking rocks. Uh it's just that that the moment that choral thing mm. kicks in, because this this starts with um Orlim, yeah. which that is someday in in Latin. Yep. They're singing the lyrics to Someday, which yeah. was cut from the film. The the Latin work as well as the choral work in this movie is top notch. Like it's, it's incredible. It's so well utilized. Yeah, so you get like this almost quiet uh like start. And then it just hits with like this kaboom. That that low, all that low instrumentation that gives you that first beat. Mm. Mm. Oh, it just smacks you. And you just, you have to listen to this film with good sound. Like you yeah. have to oh, listen. Yeah, yeah, you can't yeah, listen yeah, yeah. to it on yeah. a laptop. It doesn't no. work. You got to no. have that sound system right up. Yeah. You got to have your subwoofer pumped. Not that yeah. people really have subwoofers anymore because <laughs> it's kind of all integrated, but you know what I mean? Like just hear that bomb, yeah. that bass trombone and whatever else is down there. Just hitting it and that clang of that bell. Yeah. Oh, the the score work in this is incredible. It's it's funny to look at it and then put it next to the opening of Aladdin. Yeah. And they oh yeah because the movies co- start with a dude in a cart selling random shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you a story. Uh. I mean, at least Coppin's in more than just this number. But yes, true, true. <laughs> Speaking of the Latin, the 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 bit in this song where she's running through the streets and it's that. It's so good. Um, this is a very long-winded way of me saying I gave it flat fives. Yes. I was just like, chuck them down, people. It just so much happens, and um, seeing Quasimodo's mother die on the steps, like so brutal. It just, That's, and then he picks up the baby yeah. and goes to throw it in a well. <laughs> yeah. This is a Disney movie, people. And, and it a starts that holding a grim. baby above a well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, the deacon coming in looking like some, you know, badass motherfucker, like, stop. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, good. Oh, that is one of my favorite bits of animation when it flashes to Kloppen. Kloppen acting To remind it out. you that yeah. he's telling, telling the story. Yeah. That, oh, that's such a great bit of animation. Yeah. Uh, I love it how the archdeacon and, and Frollo then have like a guilt off. He's like, yeah. you have to raise the child. 
well, he has to live with you. Don't you have a house? Yeah, but it'll be better off with you. Like, <laughs> so they guilt each other into taking care yeah. of it. He's like, I'll look after him. He's got to live with you, but is that they're, all good? They're, We're the good two, the, they're the two dads you don't want, but somehow you've ended up with. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And never mind like the, the archdeacon basically gets in with like the threat of eternal damnation, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, like, never mind burning down half of Paris later nah, on in the film. Nah, like, that, nah. that, that doesn't count. But, like, That's if fine. you kill this baby. <laughs> Eternal damnation, boy. Yeah. I gotcha. <laughs> it is really hard when I think of the best openings to films. Yeah. I I go, it's it's the circle of life. And I watch the circle of life and I'm like, yeah. 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 And then I watch this and I'm like, Definitely Bells of Notre Dame. But yeah. Then you go back to the Circle Life and like Circle Life, and then you go back to this and you're like definitely yeah. Bells of Notre Dame. Like they are both incredible opening numbers, and they're very incre- they're both incredible in a similar sort of way though as well. Like mm. when we haven't covered it yet, obviously, but when we get to Hercules, we have this really incredible like Motowny type opening number, which I think is really incredible as well. And so it's this is this is where our job gets really difficult is comparing those. Mm sorts of differing styles. The the okay, there's a lot of highlights in this song for me. Yeah. However, the one that I cannot get my head around. It is. Ah, I'm so excited I'm losing my headphones. Okay. <laughs> All right. You ready for this? I am. It is the fact that at the end of this song, now it's low in the mix. It's low in the mix, but it is there. Paul Kendall hits a top D. And who is the man? Sing the bells, 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 I think I just had an exorcism moment then. I felt like my <laughs> eyes rolling into the back of my head. I started foaming from the mouth. I, it just like, yeah, oh, my God. Every time I hear it, I've heard it so many times and I often go back and just repeat that last 30 seconds. Yeah. I'm like, is he going to hit it? Dra, dra, da. Like that D just yeah. smacks. You hear it a bit better at the end of the film, but mm. it is there both times. That is a top D, people. Like that is that is – out of this world. Paul Kendall can smack me with that D anytime. <laughs> Holy crap. And like, not to mention the Sopranos on top of that are yeah. hitting a top D. Like we are one note down from Phantom of the Opera's final note. Yeah. One note down. Yeah. And it's not even that they're hitting it. They are holding it, man. Holding it. And if you listen to the stage production, you hear it even clearer. It's a top D. You mm. have to smack that note and you have to hold it till you turn blue in the face. Yeah. Props to anyone that can sing this. Props. Yeah. Total there, props. Um, there was a Angie was showing me, I can't remember the, the account name. I'll find it and put it on the socials to give credit to him. But there's a a, a TikTok account that he does like um the the singing down the octave option. You know how there's a lot of options when you're yeah. like, if you can't quite hit it, you do the down note. Yeah. And the the ending of this is really quite a ball, like a, a ball breaker. It's just like <laughs> you, you're expecting it and then it's just so disappointing. But then he put a recording of himself singing it to take the top D and it's just so lush and Shut incredible. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. So the, good. 
it gives me nightmares, the thoughts of having to sing this song and sing it as well as he does. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And imagine doing it in the show and having to hit it twice a night. Nah, can't Sometimes do it. double show day. No, thank you. But that's, uh, look, I could talk all night about this fucking song. It's so good, yeah. but we probably shouldn't. <laughs> and for the next 20 minutes, we will talk about nothing else this but the opening of this movie. This is dissecting the bells of Notre Dame. <laughs> um, it's so good. Uh, it's so good. If you haven't rewatched the, the, the movie, first of all, how dare you? Secondly, listen to this song. It's so good. You got to. Yeah. Okay, on to the second song. Out there. Remember what I've taught you, Quasimodo. You are deformed. I am deformed. And you are ugly. And I am ugly. And these are crimes for which the world shows little pity. You do not comprehend. You are my one defender. How there among the millers and the weavers and their wives. Through the roofs and gables I can see them. Every day they shout, scold, and go about their lives. Heedless of the gift it is to be them. Just hearing the excerpt. It's incredible. I look, honestly, I hate this fucking song. I hate it because I want to sing it so bad and I can never fucking hit those notes. Oh my god. It's oh, it's so good. And uh, what a t- 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 song. Tony Hull uh, Hills sounds incredible. Complete with his machine gun vibrato. Oh. But there's such Desperation and yearning mm. in his mm. performance. Yeah, the the sort of light and shade between the start, where he's just like echoing what Frollo says, and then he just fucking takes off uh, and sings this soaring, beautiful song. And you just see how gaslighty Frollo is. Yeah, how, absolutely. I, uh, like what he says sounds like it makes so much sense, you know. You're you're ugly, and the world doesn't pity that. Oh, pity that, and mm. I'm your only friend. And you're just sitting there going, no, yeah, no. He's like, I think of him and um, Mother Gothel, which we'll get to in Tangled. Incredible yeah. gaslighters, incredible. Yeah, yeah. And you totally understand why these these characters in the situation they're in, because mm. that's all they know. Yeah, and this movie doesn't really fuck around much. Like it tells you straight up. It shows you what happened that he's killed his mother and then it shows you almost immediately the story that he's telling Quasi. He's saying, no, 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 she she abandoned you, you know? Yeah. So, like, she was going to kill um, you with kindness. Yeah, immediately we just get this this real look at what's happening and who these people are and it's, oh, yeah. my God. And the it's animation so in this is beautiful. This is very heavily integrated CGI in this film, so the cathedral is mostly CGI and, mm, and the crowd mm. scenes, but we'll get there. Yeah. But when he goes down that <laughs> that channel, that um, like gutter of water, what an incredible yeah. bit of animation. And then he splashes his face and you see the city. It's such yeah. an incredible I once. I actually got upset because I was like, we never got an I once on like this. 
Like yeah. we've got part of your world, but it's not this. Like this is yeah. something else. It, yeah. I, and I think it's because the ending of that sped one day, you're just like, yes, yeah. yes. Like none of the <laughs> girl songs do that. Like you think about yeah. Colors of the Wind and Part of Your World and um, the Bell Reprise, all of them wind down at the end. Colors of the wind. Out of the sea. Yeah, they have almost like a quiet, introspective Finishing, yeah, ending. which I get yeah. dramatically works. But this is just like, go, son, we're with you. Like you're rooting yeah. for him. Yeah. You're rooting yeah. for him, you know? Speaking of the ending, I cannot listen to this without hearing it transition into the uh, um, the end of Phantom of the Opera Act 1. You know, the, you will curse the day you did not do all the Phantom Us of you. Oh no, now I'm never going to be able to unhear yeah, that. You're welcome. You're welcome. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Two it, flat fives. <sighs> Here we go. And I, 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 when I did that, I was like, oh, <laughs> this film is going to just totally destroy. You just can't, you can't fault it. Those two songs, you cannot no. fault them. Even if you don't think Tom Hulse is the best singer, because he yeah. does have that vibrato that when you pay attention to it, you can't hear it. Yeah. But the acting that comes yeah. through in this performance, it's yeah. just incredible. Yeah. It's yeah. incredible. And like I've heard I've heard guys try to sing this and it starts off fine. But yeah, when we get to that bridge and then yeah. <laughs> I think it's just like, what one way ticket to struggle down. Like it's high. I'll have spent one day. In a um, past life, I worked <laughs> night shift a lot uh, and I was like manning, you know, for phones and computers and stuff like that. So I had a lot of free time in an empty building to sing a bunch of songs. And this is the song that I wanted to sing so desperately and I could never get it. And I was always like <laughs> looking back on the CCTV recordings of like, so where did I fuck it? Where was it that went wrong? <laughs> there it was, that note. And I'd practice that note and I could just never get it. It's so deceptively difficult, it, yeah. but it's so good and he just nails it. It's brilliant and I yeah. love the image of him swinging on the spire that absolutely yeah. did not exist back when this was set on top yeah. of Notch Dame. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, just everything. I, I really, really love the opening of this song. I really love how a lot of these songs kind of develop from these intros into these these main songs and the intros aren't like crappy dismissive things. They set it up so beautifully. And to hear him, you know, that call and response of you are deformed, I am deformed, you are ugly and I am ugly. You just, you feel, I feel so sorry for him. And that that continues in heaven's light. It just kills me because you just, you want to hug this guy. Yeah. And, you know, he looks better than he does in the book. That's for sure. This guy's got two eyes. Let's start there. And he can hear. Oh, I just. Oh, this song, this song. 
Mm. Alan Menken, Stephen Schwartz, bow down, bitches. They, it's like they took performance-enhancing drugs for this one. Yeah, they got they it. Were, it's just they, they were fucking nailing it. They were kicking it out of the park every time. Yeah, they are totally in their own ballpark mm. here. It just just works. And then we move into the sort of first fun song, I guess, is uh, Topsy Turvy. Fun. It's so fun. I mean, it's no bells, but it's... It's no bells, but it, it's t- it serves a purpose. It's fun. I did not give this flat fives. I, d- I did not give this flat fives. <laughs> yeah. I almost, I almost did. Really? Because it's so fun. And there's so much happening and, like, uh, my, my criticisms of it are not really criticisms. It's just that it doesn't serve as much of a purpose as the other songs. Yeah. Um... It serves some purpose, but not as much for the story, and that it's less memorable. My cake mm-hmm. and my my so it's fives for music, lyrics, and animation. Oh, and oh, then it's whoa, okay, yeah, and then it's three for uh, contribution and cake. Wow. Okay. Cool. So, um, you weren't watching it as closely as I was. You need to go back <laughs> and look at the things that aren't your main focus. So okay. basically. They wanted these big crowd scenes. Mm. And previously when they've had crowd scenes like in um, Beauty and the Beast, they've been fairly stationary. Yeah. Um, and in this they were like, we'll just we'll make them CGI. And they came up with um, a range of characters that were different like sizes and shapes and then they copied and pasted them around. Right. And then they had 72 movements that they could do. Mm. But the thing is if you look at them, they look, you know, Disney eyes are quite big. Like they've yeah. got big whites. These have tiny little <laughs> little eyes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they look, it's nightmare fuel, man. If you look <laughs> 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 these guys are terrifying. Um, yeah. So I gave this three for music and lyrics. Yep. Because I thought yeah, it was fine, but it didn't wow me like the others. Um, yeah, it's not yeah. a five for me. I gave it two and a half for animation because I think what they're doing with it is is cool. What Kloppen's doing is cool. I don't love all the slapsticky stuff when they're chasing Esmeralda and stuff. But yeah, it's just the those background that CGI thing. I mean, it's mm. new. It's new technology, but my god, it is horrific. I gave it four for contribution to story and one for cake because I, I really don't remember anything except Topsy Davy. Topsy Turvy. Oh, fair enough. Anyone, anyone who wants to check this out, just look up Topsy Turvy and then just watch the background characters. Don't worry about what's happening in focus and you can live your own nightmares there. <laughs> oh my God. It's like, why are their eyes so small? I don't understand. Like, <laughs> and it's purely because they couldn't, they can't hand draw, you know, 50 million crowds people. And 
in this movie, so there's a lot of CGI when it comes to like Notre Dame and mm. water and fire and that sort of thing. And then you've got hand-drawn characters in front of them. And sometimes it's very obvious. Sometimes you can tell these characters were drawn and placed on these backdrops. Sometimes it works beautifully. Like out there, I don't really notice it. When they're yeah. in the streets, I do a little bit, especially at the start. But, yeah, we're, we're sort of like integrating this technology. We're not quite all CGI. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On to the next song. What is it, Will? God help the outcasts. Yes, I know I'm just an outcast. I shouldn't speak to you. Still I see your face and wonder. Were you once an outcast too? God help the outcasts. Hungry from birth Show them the mercy They don't find on earth God help my people We look to you still God help the outcasts Where nobody so this is sung by uh, a woman named Heidi Mollenhauer. I think that's how I say her name. Yeah. And she was a New York cabaret singer. She'd done a bit of musical theatre but she was mostly known as a cabaret artist because, like I said, Demi Moore herself said, you know, you need to find someone better. I'm not a singer. Yeah. I, I think this song lyrically is beautiful. I adore the bit where I just cut it off, where yeah. the chorus starts saying things like I ask for money, I ask yeah. for fame, I ask for riches and stuff, which is taken from the 1930s movies um, where basically okay, yeah. they say exactly that. Yeah. And I think it's stunning. Where it loses points for me is the singer. I really don't like her. Yeah, it's she. it, it almost needs a bit more guts. Yeah, it feels like, and she's she's very she's very like it's pretty, it's quite pretty. It's just it's very delicate, and Esmeralda doesn't seem very delicate. Well, part um, of the problem I think is she's white. She doesn't get it. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. I, I sort of find it funny that when when they did Pocahontas, mm. they were intent on you know Pocahontas singing voice aside, which, which I find weird, um, had to be voiced by a, a Native American actress. But then yeah. we get to this and it's like, oh, Esmeralda can just be a white chick and the girl who sings about, you know, othering can be white as well. That's fine. Yeah. And so yeah. what I really feel is missing, really feel is missing in this, is Howard Ashman in yeah. the ways of the way he directed his mm. actresses to present songs. Yeah. This, this actress needed that sort of direction. She needed to be told where the emphasis on text yeah. should be because she really just, God help the outcast. Mm. Like there's nothing, there is nothing happening in that yeah. in that text. And it, and it kills me, which yeah. is, I mean, I gave it a four for music and it's the, the one thing that's holding me back is she just doesn't sell it. Yeah. I think musically yeah. it's stunning. That mute, that bit in the middle with the, with the chorus of parishioners is stunning. For glory to shine on my name. 
It feels almost like it was like an audition take almost. And yeah. she's like, well, what are you looking for in this song? And they're like, oh, I don't know, you're praying or something. And yeah. so <laughs> and so she's just sung this and they're like, that's good. Send it to the send it. Let's go. Do Let's that. cut it. And she's like, wait, what? <laughs> and, and and like like you, I don't want to harp on too much about the um the cast recording of the stage production, but I do have a little side by side comparison here to just drive home what I what I mean. Have a listen. So this is yep. God help side by side. It's interesting, yeah, because when you put it side by side by that, you can sense you can sense what the chorus is or the ensemble is building towards. But mm. then in the in the movie version, she's just I ask for nothing. It's like yeah, there's, there's nothing there. There's no desperation. Yeah, yeah. and uh, whereas the musical just gets that perfectly. It's yeah, it's and that, like this punchy, that's Kiara beautiful Renee singing mm. um singing yeah. that who. Went on to become the first woman of color to play Elsa in Frozen. Snaps. Yeah, sick. Yeah, that she gets it. Mm. She. I looked at her ethnic background. There's a piece of everything in her. Yeah. Heritage, <laughs> um, all bits of Europe, and then like Native American and African and stuff. I'm like, oh, she she gets it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's just something about like people who understand text, and I'm like, well, she wasn't really a Broadway. Like she never went on Broadway. She just did musicals and cabaret. Mm. Whereas when you've got someone like Kiara Renee, who is a Broadway actress, she has that Broadway understanding of how to do yeah. the text, and it's so different. And if she was singing it, it'd be flat five. You know, it'd be flat fives for me. But yeah, yeah. just wasn't. So um, the ra- way I rated this was, I gave it four for music. I gave it five for lyrics. Mm-hmm. Four for animation because I really love. I love all that parishioner stuff. I think it's stunning. Four mm. for contribution. Three for cake. Okay. Yeah, I rated it fairly similarly. I gave it a four for music and a four for lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave it a three for animation. I, I seem to recall mostly being a little bit bored with the animation of it, but there's a very cool sequence where she's like walking through candles and mm. that just looks really, really beautiful. And that's, again, a really wonderful use of the CGI that they're still yeah. coming to terms with how and to use. And then she ends so- up in the... The reflection of the stained glass yeah. window on the floor, yeah. Yes, yeah. So all of that stuff is really stunning. Um, I gave it a three for contribution and a two for cake. Yeah. Yeah, fair um, enough. Yeah, it's 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 a shame because it is it's a it's a really nice song. It could have been a lot better. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And and because lyrically, when I hear, I think a really powerful line is, "I thought we all were the children of God," because mm. it really throws that question in the face uh, when people say if God exists, why do people suffer? And yeah. that's, some, you know, someone, if we're looking at the character, she's literally throwing that of like why are my people suffering if God exists and if we're yeah. all the children of God? And it's so, um, it's just sort of like really in your face in such a sad way. Mm. And I find the lyric, please help my people. What What is amazingly beautiful about this song 
and tragic about this song is, with the exception of the opening lyric where she refers to gypsies directly, mm. to a gypsy prayer, you could actually apply this to any marginalised mm. group, any yeah. marginalised group, be it for race, religion, appearance, whatever it is, yeah. sexuality, um, you can you can apply this because it's all about, you know, pl- please just help my people be accepted. That's all yeah. we need. Yeah. When in a world so many people are hoping for riches and fame and all that that sort of like superficial stuff. But you know what's really cool? This song obviously did its job because this came out in 1996 and almost 20 years later we are super accepting of every person no matter where they come from. <laughs> they fixed it. Uh, or who they are. We, they, they fixed marginalisation. Well done, Mencken Cheers and Schwartz. To Cheers to that. <laughs> oh, the world makes me sad sometimes. Uh, uh, yeah. Then we get so sorry. Are we done talking about God help the outcasts? Yeah, I, I think we're done there. Excellent. We trans like these songs seem to move fairly quickly. Like yeah, they we do. get we this middle section just is just like song after song after song. We transition, and I think especially because a lot of the underscoring has choral work through it, which yeah. obviously we're not rating, but no. Yeah, the but music it links kind basically of everything. It's yeah. so it's it, like I said, the, the the choir in this is g- getting the most work oh. since like Peter Pan. Like yeah. it's <laughs> the Disney choir was like, "Ooh, hang on, oh, am I supposed to be at the studio tomorrow? Did you get this call? Oh, yeah. it's so cool because the choir are literally part of the orchestration in this. Yeah, they're it's not beautiful. just a feature in a couple of things. They're part of that orchestration. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then we sort of, yeah, transition fairly quickly into Heaven's Light. I knew I'd never know that warm and loving glow, though I might wish with all my might. No face as hideous as my face was ever meant for Heaven's Light. Really pretty song. Yeah. Really, like, it's pretty. And it, it, it's very contrasting to the last song we heard him sing, which is obviously out there, um, in that it is a much more quiet and introspective throughout sort of the the whole thing. What a beautiful falsetto he has. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I My only issue with this song, and it's not really an issue with the song, is that so a couple of years after this, Schwartz went on and scored his own film, The Prince of Egypt. Have you seen it? Yeah, but a long um, time ago. There is a song in that called Heaven's Eyes. It's not it's not the same in terms of tempo or anything, but the the same sort of like Heaven's Eyes or Heaven's Eyes is very uh very similar to this. So just have a listen to this. So how do you measure the worth of a man in wealth or strength or size? In how much he gained or how much he gave? The answer will come. The answer will come to him who tries to look at his life through heaven's eyes. Yeah, so like that same sort of like, I don't know what it's called, like it's, that same melody is used similar, in that song yeah. as well. It's very similar. And so it's not, I guess it's not a, a, a criticism against this song per se, but it's just I knew Prince of Egypt much more growing up. So when I heard this, I was like, hang on a second, that sounds a lot like that. <laughs> so really that's Schwartz's problem, not this song's problem. But, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty song. Yeah, I actually, I find this song so incredibly sad mm. when it's reprised. 
Yeah, okay. When okay. he sees Esmeralda kiss Phoebus and he's holding the Ace of Hearts. Yeah. And he sings, it's a very short reprise of this. I knew I'd never know that warm and loving glow, though I might wish with all my mind. No face as hideous as my face was ever meant for heaven's love. I find that I, I nearly cried. I thought that mm. is so sad because mm. it goes back to it's because of how, how I look. That lyric, no face as hideous as my face was ever mm. meant for heaven's light. Mm. I find that so heartbreaking to hear because I think about anyone who has ever thought, I'm so ugly I shouldn't exist. Yeah. What a what a horrible way to feel to think that just your appearance devalues you as a, as a human. Mm. And although in in the first instance it's it's sad. I don't know why it doesn't grab me that like it's pretty, but it doesn't grab me the way it does when he sings that little reprise. I was gone. Yeah, yeah. It does seem to be a weird sort of a weird thing about this movie. It's not so much like. Like, you know, it's promoting acceptance and all that sort of stuff and acceptance of people no matter what they look like, but we still can't let him have a happy ending with the woman he's in love with. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, it's it seems a little bit one for you, one for me kind of. I don't know. Yeah, but I think um something that's really beautiful about it is, like, he doesn't, spoiler alert, he doesn't get Esmeralda in the end, but mm. I don't, I think there's something about the way that he instantly is accepting of that Hmm. is what really splits him from anyone else. Yeah, okay. Because yeah. he has understanding and humility. Yeah. And he just he lets her go. He does it for her. He knows that's what will make her happy. Yeah. And he lets her go. Unlike Frollo, who's like, you will be mine or you will yeah. burn, you know. And, <laughs> and that's what it, that to me is the split between what makes a monster and what makes a man is the mm. way that Frollo treats letting Esmeralda you know, Esmeralda being in love with someone else as opposed to yeah. Cosimodo being in love with someone else. Yeah, true, true. No, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Uh, what did you rate Heaven's Light? I gave it three and a half for music. Yep. Four for lyrics because I think they're really beautiful. Four for animation. 3.5 for contribution. One for cake. Yeah, okay. Uh, again, quite similar. Uh, I gave it a three for music and a four for lyrics. I gave it a two for animation, a three for contribution, and a one for cake. Yeah, I can't remember why I gave it a four for animation. Um, mm. I'm trying to think what was what was happening. He's like playing with the figurines. Yeah, it's it's very much a like him in the tower alone kind of song. Yeah. So the fact that I gave it a two, it's not really saying anything bad about the animation. There's just not really a lot happening and th I mean that in itself is something worth celebrating sometimes yeah yeah I must have really liked something about it I have to rewatch it but I wouldn't no, give a absolutely. four so lightly so yeah I think it's beautiful there's just something about it doesn't sell it but if we were rating the reprise but it, we're not because it goes for like yeah. five seconds I'd yeah. be like flat fives because I was yeah, yeah. so moved when it came back <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that's heaven's light and again we transition very quickly into Hellfire. I'll find her. I'll find her if I have to burn down all of Paris. Hellfire. Dark fire. Now gypsy. 
Understand who convinced Disney to put a <laughs> I want to fuck Esmeralda song in this movie. I'll never understand it, but I will always be thankful, thankful. for them. You can't oh my God. believe that Disney said no to when Esmeralda goes, you son of a, but yeah, they put yeah, this in. Like, yeah, who, yeah. who was away that day? Someone was yeah. sick. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. This is hands down the best villain song. Uh, because it is yeah. the first villain song, is the only villain song, actually, that is not about how great am I. I'm evil and I'm fabulous. Yeah. This song is like, this is why I'm evil and I yeah. I can't help it. And It's genuinely oh my God. very scary. And There's so like many from, layers. From a very re- in a very real sense, it's very scary. The fact that a person like this has existed in the past, continues to exist in the present, it's so creepy. It's a, a an incredible retooling of the Bell's motif. I love everything about this song. It's so good. There are there are so many layers. There's so many elements of this I love. The animation is fucking off the wall. Mm, when all the shadows are like coming to life, oh, it's so good. Those hooded figures. Yeah. And this actually, this song originally made the film PG. Right. Because when Esmeralda's dancing in the flames, originally yeah. she looked naked. Oi, okay. And they said that's going to make the film PG. Yeah. And so they made them outline her clothes much more clearly so mm. she didn't look naked and they put it back to a G rating. I still watch this and I'm like, this is PG. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, no. he's, he's basically saying my loins are burning. <laughs> and what I find so... <sighs> overwhelming about it is the, is the choir in the back. So mm. the fact that they are first at the, there's, there's a lot of um, a Latin choir at the start of this before he starts singing. Mm. They're doing a confession. Yeah. And they're doing a mea culpa. So mea culpa means through my fault. And I always think of Sweeney Todd when the judge, this is cut now, I think. Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. But the way that people used to repent for mm. big sin was they'd get a small whip and they'd go mea culpa, mea culpa, and they'd be um, mm. sort of whipping themselves on the back. Yeah. And when he's singing, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I'm not to blame. It is the gypsy girl, the witch who set this flame. It's not my fault. There's something about that and through the start of it all that is the is the confession so it's like i confess to god almighty to blessed mary ever virgin to the blessed archangel michael to the holy apostles to all the saints they're doing all of that in latin so all the way through it from the beginning this is all about sin before he even starts singing and then to have them singing mea culpa as he's going it's not my fault and he's running through those hooded figures and then at the end 
when he sings um, Choose Me or Your Pyre, Be Mine or You Will Burn, I sort of cut this in the in the clip we just made because I don't want it to go forever. But yeah. they're singing Kyrie which means Lord have mercy. Yeah. So they're singing Lord have mercy. He's singing God, God have mercy on her, God have mercy on me. And yeah. they're just singing Lord have mercy as a whole. There's just something so dark and condemning mm. about the way they're singing that at him, like that his inner inner voice. Oh, oh my God, this song. This yeah. song. In listening to or in studying for this podcast, I oh yeah, you've seen what I've just said, yeah. Um in studying for this podcast, I found a, a metal covers playlist. And there's a guy called Jonathan Young who does all these metal covers of Disney songs. Is he Some the of them- guy you sent last week? Quite possibly, yes. Yeah, no, quite possibly. No, it was the possibly. Goofy movie. Uh, yeah, the yeah, 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 for, uh, to stand out, yeah. Um, and this is quite possibly my favourite cover of any Disney song ever. It's only short. Have a quick listen. You get the idea. It's so yeah. good. And this it just suits it. This is one of the it. most covered songs from the show. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's and so good. There's something about it that just speaks, especially, I suppose, because it's written for a baritone and yeah. that never happens in Disney yeah. movies. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun fact here. Here's a stats with stackers fact. Here we go. This is the last villain song we get for 13 years. Well, yeah, because Mulan doesn't have one, Tarzan doesn't have one. So is the next the next one is in Princess and the Frog. Correct. Okay, yeah, cool. Thirteen years until we get another villain song. No one wanted to touch that. They were like, yeah. Menken and Schwartz, you've done it. You've broken the system. We're done. <laughs> and it's it's funny because the the villain songs, when I think about them, they are all about how fabulous it is. It's it's just like it's the last one and it's the only one because even when we come back to Princess and the Frog, mm. that song is all about I'm great, I've got all these dark friends and I can do magic and voodoo. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this, oh, my goodness, you're just, oh, Tony Kay. And awesome fact again, in the stage production, this is sung by Patrick Page. Patrick Page, yes. Who is the, the original Hades in Hades Town? Yeah. I think he's still the Hades in Hades Town. He is still Hades in Hades yeah, Town, yeah. Yeah. He was also Norman Osborn in the very failed uh Spider-Man musical. Just a fun <laughs> little fun little tidbit there. And he was also Scar in The Lion King. Oh, was he? Yeah. Fucking kick-ass voice. That voice. So good. That so voice. Good. This is this is absolutely one of the best songs in the Disney canon. Yeah. Because it's so dark. It's so non-Disney. And you know what could only make it better? Following up with a guy like you. Oh, shut up. <laughs> a guy like you. She's never known kin. A guy like you, a girl does not meet every day. You've got a look. That's all your own kid. Could there be two like you? No way. Those other guys that she could dangle all look the same from every boring point of view. 
You're a surprise from every angle. Mantia above, she's gotta love a guy like you. It's a shame because I think that this song is not a bad song. It's just in the wrong movie. It's Be Our Guest. Come on. It, it is Be Our Guest. It's also <laughs> kind of like um, it feels like that's uh, not, it's not, but it feels like Bella Notte from Lady and the Tramp. Like it's got that sort of same like accordion vibe. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, they're all the same, right? <laughs> I just, this is the trend. So we have a trend now since the yeah. start of the Renaissance, since Aladdin came along. Mm. We have two things. We have an animal sidekick named Merchandise. Yep. Sometimes we have multiple animal sidekicks named Merchandise 1, Merchandise <laughs> 2, Merchandise 3, and Merchandise 4. And we have a funny improvising comedian who gets a funny-ass song. So we yeah. started with Robin Williams and it worked. It worked mm. when we have Robin Williams. Yeah. But holy shit, does it not work here? I'm really just going to quickly look up where Jason Alexander is at in his career at this point in time because it feels like uh, Seinfeld had not started yet. So he would have already done Merrily We Roll Along because he's in the original Broadway cast of that. Okay. Yeah. Fun sometime fact. Look, he's done a lot of movies. He has done a lot of television. Like Seinfeld was what we most know him for, but he had worked fairly solidly before that uh, as well as on stage. Yeah, so Merrily We Roll Along, Forbidden Broadway, The Rink, which is a, I think. Jeez, a, in The a, Rink. A, yeah, he's in The Sweet Rink, Lord. which is that a, uh, it's Canner and Ebb. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's um, and So he had worked fairly solidly. And yeah. then he did The Return of Jafar and they're like, hey, come do this movie. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> very, very, very strange. I, I, I think that. His voice suits the movie, but I don't think his characterization particularly suits the movie. Does that and make like, sense? Did I tell you who the original three gargoyles were going to be, the actors? Uh, you told us that Cindy Lauper was one of them and there was another one I've forgotten Yeah, no, already. so once she was out, where did I write this down? I wrote this down. Katzenberg wanted Arsino Hall, David Letterman and Jay Leno. Arsino Hall I could see working. Uh, it's a very different vibe again. Like, I, I don't know. It's I think enough- it was just, it was desperation to have something fun for the kids. Yeah. Because comedians are always funny. We need comedians. And it just, it doesn't work. We need a song. What do you want? Oh, Be Our Guest was a hit. Let's just write Be Our yeah, Guest again. let's do again. that again. Okay, yeah. that'll do. Yeah. And it, ugh, I hate this song so much. Yeah. Because of very, where it is. It's very weird and very yeah. jarring. It's fun. It's not yeah. a terrible song. No. But it doesn't freaking belong in this movie, which is no. why I gave it zero for contribution. So here are my scores. Yep. yep. We got two and a half for music and lyrics, mm-hmm. four for animation because the animation is fun. Yeah. All right. I'll give you that. Zero for contribution, zero for cake. Who the freak walks away from this movie and goes, oh, let's sing a guy like you. That was a fun ditty. Hey, kids, we're just driving home from the movie. Who wants to sing that fun song, a guy like you? No, Dad, I want to sing the Frollo Fuck song. <laughs> um, I Again, quite similar. Um, three for music, lyrics, and animation, one for contribution, and zero for cake. <sighs> it's a song. It happened. Yeah. Let's talk about a Court of Miracles. Be 
Maybe you've heard of a terrible place where the scoundrels of Paris collect in the Maybe you've heard of that mythical place where the food of miracles. Hello, you're there. So you won't be around to reveal what you found. We have a method for spies and intruders, rather like hornets protecting their hide. Here in the court of miracles, where it's a miracle if you get out alive. We are fighting the stereotype that we are murderous thieves. Yeah. So let us try to attempt to murder you in our den of stolen goods. <laughs> Look, this song is... I think it sits with a guy like you in that it feels wrong to have this as the last song in the actual movie if you don't count reprises. The last song is never good. Yeah, it never is. But like, it's not. It's not bouncing back from the tonal shift that was a guy like you. Like, it's it's continuing down that path, which just it feels a bit unbalanced and weird. It's it's not a bad song. I don't hate it. And even just listening to it then, I was like, oh, yeah, this is kind of fun. Yeah, it's kind of like a dark version of Topsy Turvy. Yeah, it is. It is. And it feels, just then I was thinking, like, as I was listening to it, I was seeing it being sung by, like, the pirates in Peter Pan or something. Like, it's kind yeah. of, it, it kind of feels like it belongs in that scenario, not this scenario. But, I, I mean, I rated it okay. I gave it a three for everything except uh, Cake, which I gave a zero. Oh, okay. Oh, very similarly. I gave it three for music, three for lyrics, four for animation, three for contribution, zero for cap. Yeah, nice. It's fine. Yeah, it kind of it's just a song that happens. And again, look at the people in the background. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for some true uncanny valley bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it just I find it so that that irony so funny yeah. to like. We don't matter and we don't steal. No, watch us matter and steal. That adds to the jarringness of this song as well, because they're 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 painted as, you know, the the Romania painted as this very colourful, fun um, people who come to the town and do this this fun thing once a year, and then they're still singing a song that's fairly jaunty, but they're also being like, "We're going to kill you, mate! You've you've come to our yeah. graveyard. You've." And I love me a dark funhouse song, mm. but. I think, yeah, If maybe if a guy like you didn't exist, I'd appreciate this more. Maybe, yeah, because then I feel like the tonal shift is less severe. Yeah. It's like we've it's gone. It's kind of like, here's a fun song, but it's dark. Yeah, it's like we've gone really here on the dark and then we've dropped down s- so sharply to a guy like you and then we've yeah. tried to come back up a little bit, but not quite. Like, but yeah. you've already lost us. You'd, you've yeah, lost you us. did, you did. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Stackers, this is where we get to the two songs from the cutting room floor that we haven't already talked about. Songs from the cutting room, songs from the cutting room, songs from the cutting room. Oh, so we've kind of already talked about Someday, which was originally in the movie uh, in place of God Help the Outcasts, which was then taken out, still kept as the credit song with All for One singing it, and then it was reinserted into the musical. So we won't cover that again, but we do get... Uh, following this song where Phoebus and uh, Quasimodo are all, uh, almost hanged, we get these two songs. So first up we get As Long As There's A Moon. Hanging or wedding, well, what does it matter? You're sure to be roped at the end of the day. Wedding or hanging, the former, the latter. We know either way you are going to pay. That just reminded me of when I was questioning, as, lo- as much as I love 
Paul Kendall yeah. and the Bells of Notre Dame. Mm. Why does he sound Italian? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, I guess it's just his version of Miss European accent. Yeah, it just sounds close enough. <laughs> <laughs> so this song was taken out because, like the other song that we're going to talk about as well, they it, it was felt that it focused too much on Esmeralda and Phoebus. So it was like, nah, let's just take out that song. Let's take out that song. Too much focus on those people. So, yeah. It, it basically is a court of miracles. It is. It sounds very similar. But, it, but it's about a wedding. Yeah, so the idea was that Esmeralda stopped this wedding and vouched for Quasimodo and Phoebus, so therefore Esmeralda must be in love with Phoebus, so they're going to get married. It was like this sort of like faux thing to try and get more money out of him as well because he like yeah, steals his coin right. purse during this and all that sort of stuff. So just more shenanigans, I guess, um, but yeah. too much focus on Phoebus and Esmeralda. And then almost immediately after that we get – the, the next sort of Esmeralda and Phoebus love song, uh, which is In a Place of Miracles. Here we are, nearly strangers from two worlds that have rarely met. But somehow you have made me someone new. Traveling far on a journey that's the longest I've taken yet Now I'm asking if you will let me come with you Boring! Yeah, it is boring and its only purpose was to sort of highlight this romance that was developing between Esmeralda and Phoebus, which we didn't need. No. So, yeah, and but again, this song has, uh, I believe, been reinserted into the stage musical, so... It lives on. Yeah, I think it has. Yeah. Blah. It just yeah, did not need a love ballad for crying out loud. No. This, so, this movie did so well to step away from certain tropes yeah. of Disney movies yeah. and then that would have just smacked it right back with Aladdin. I do like that the romance is almost secondary in this movie. Like obviously you've got mm. Quasimodo's affections towards Esmeralda, but the the romance between Esmeralda and Phoebus isn't the primary focus of this movie. It, <laughs> Until they just full on make out in the same room. Yeah, like when, when uh, Phoebus gets <laughs> shot. Quasimodo. When Phoebus gets shot yeah. and they get carried into Quasimodo's bed and they just start kissing in his bed. They're just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. do you think I'm don't worry about him. Quasi, stop looking. Quasi, bloody door frame. But that's all the songs. That's all of the songs. Is there anything else you would like to talk about in terms of songs? Yeah. Uh, actually, yeah. There's one more thing I want to mention, um, and it's actually just one of my favourite bits of the score. Yeah, sure. So uh, the score is just just magic in this, and there there's so much you know uh, early early influence. Uh, musical influences that he's just drawn into this score. And one of my favourite moments is when Quasimodo swings down from the cathedral and rescues Esmeralda, who has fainted at the pyre. And it's when he jumps onto the top of the cathedral, holding her body above his head and screams sanctuary, which is something that's taken from the 1930s movie, Mm. which is taken from the book. So just have a listen to this music. You can hear... When he's screaming sanctuary, he screams it twice. Have a listen to the music. Uh. 
So good. Oh, so um, basically what they're singing, if we translate it, is basically they're singing about judgment. Yeah. So one day um, judgment will come, free me, Lord, from death on that terrible day. It, it's just like it's it, it's really intense what they're what they're singing about. To what protector shall I appeal when when scarcely the just man shall be secure? It's it's just full on. They're screaming, Lord, have mercy at the end because they're singing Kyrie eleison again. Mm. And to me, that is just like a really brilliant example of just how incredibly powerful the scoring of this film is Absolutely. and what a sensational job Alan Menken has done on this film. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And he has no, no, no pity for the Sopranos. He's just like, up you go and up you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. That brings us to everyone's favourite segment. Angie's so most of the things Angie said during this movie was sassing me for my choice of anecdote for Pocahontas. Um, she <laughs> felt that she gave uh, much more high-quality anecdotes, but I went with something that she said, that she said quote, promoted my comedy. Um, so <laughs> um, so the, there was that. But um this anecdote came right at the end of the movie. Quasimodo and Frollo are fighting on top of the cathedral and Frollo grabs a, one of the gargoyle heads and it tears off and he's falling down into the fire, holding onto this stone gargoyle head. And she turns to me and she just says, wow, what a phallic way to go. <laughs> but that's, uh, that's Hunchback of Notre Dame from that's 1996. Do, we have... Three winners, I think. We we have three winners. Three winners. So, undisputedly, the best songs of this show mm. and possibly the best songs of the Disney catalogue, we had The Bells of Notre Dame mm-hmm. out there and Hellfire. Oh. Hellfire. To see us out, um, I have just chosen... What you know, the the epitome of this musical score, which is the finale of the show, mm. which is the bells of Notre Dame. So here is a riddle to guess if you can sing the bells of Notre Dame. What makes a monster and what makes a man? Whatever that which you can feel them bewitch you the rich and the ritual bells of the bells of So good. So good. So good. Finishes in a major key because everything's right. We fixed. What have we fixed? We fixed ableism and racism. Marginalization. Yay. Go team. Go team. (laughs) Um, But that's it. Bells of Notre Dame, 1996. It's a banger. Check it out. Just don't expect something super kid friendly. 
Yeah, it's called The Hunchback of Notre Dame, not The Bells of Notre Dame. Uh, Don't get too excited. Whatever. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, that felt like a really fitting way. Um, I had a feeling we'd have matching flat fives, but that just beautifully rounds out what I think is, um, you know, one of the greatest films of of Disney. That's the theme we think of. Mm, mm. What a ride, Will. This is a long episode. Yeah, but but it's worth it. There was just so much. There is. So much. There is. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we do. If you... I think I haven't seen that film in a while. Please go back and watch it. It is on Disney+. Plus. Make sure you've got the sound all the way up. You will love it. And speaking of loving things, if you do love this podcast, please remember to rate, review, and all those fancy things. The more that you do for us, the more that people discover us, and then we can, you know, eventually get to the point where we invite Limnon Well Miranda to come and talk to us about Moana. Yeah, he's going to so, do um, it. I hear he's our number one <laughs> subscriber. <laughs> um, so we really look forward to seeing you next time for episode number 27, which will be Hercules. Hercules. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a good one. That's going to be a great one. I know so many people have actually said to me, I can't wait till you get to Hercules. Yeah. What are you going to do when you get to Hercules? Everything will be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it may be. We'll see. <laughs> you never know. We might have. That is the most flat fives we've given for one movie. It, yeah. So until next time, I'm Stackers. And I'm Will. Bye. Bye. <laughs>